you know, when we think about, you know, some sustainable solutions, like, you know, you mentioned degrowth, for example, I mean, that has serious knock-on effects on, you know, employment, and then that impacts communities, that impacts, you know, education. So we can't just have this, um, you know, you know, um, what is it? One size, you know, fits sure. all approach. Um, but equally within education, it's this kind of dance with industry, especially at a business school. We need to see, you know, what's missing from the industry right now and how do we actually sust- or create, um, you know, positive leaders for, for tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the How Might We Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scali, as always. On today's episode, I have Dr. Nina Van Volkenberg. Nina is an ethnographer and educator focused on sustainable business models, the circular economy, and digital disruption within the fashion industry. She is passionate about supporting and emerging supporting emerging fashion talent and is the course leader of the MA Strategic Fashion and Marketing Program at the London College of Fashion. She's a former CEO, which is how we met before of a brand we chew. We were reminiscing when that was COVID, we've, we've recalled. So we've never met in real life, but I have you here in the studio, Nina. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And so nice to meet you in the flesh. <laughs> I'm a real person, as are you. We didn't know for sure until 20 Confirmed. minutes ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you're, I mean, you've had a crazy career, it seems. I mean, you mentioned, I mentioned the, 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 the work you'd done previously. You alluded to before we came on that you were doing that and the educating and many other things during COVID. So you didn't have much on your plate during that time. But um yeah, like give us a little bit of a plotted history about yourself, what got you interested in this space and, and kind of where you are now. Oh well, goodness, where to start? Yeah. Um first of all, I have always adored the fashion industry. Um I grew up in many different countries. So I um kind of involved with different cultures by collecting vogues. And I, you know, at the age of ten was already kind of piecing together how different countries interpreted garments in different ways, depending on kind of, um, yeah, their take on, you know, femininity, take their take on kind of art and style. And I just loved this sense of interpretation and, and creative freedom and how it, you know, said something about the world. And so... Um, you know, that was a lot to take in as a 10-year-old, but that evolved um, into my teenage years um, into the uh, the blogosphere. And um, this was, you know, when the kind of blogs were, were taking mm. off. And I was not, sadly, the kind of influencer street style uh, person. Um, I was writing about collections. So writing about kind of what are the kind of artistic references on runways? Um, you know, what does, you know, a, a short hemline say about society? today. And uh, my dream as a teen was to become the next Susie Menkez or Sarah Mower and um, essentially also become editor-in-chief of Vogue. So that was... Boom. That You've never was, had lofty ambitions then. <laughs> lofty ambitions. Um, but, you know, that allowed me then to, you know, go to different shows and different fashion weeks and really, um, you know, be exposed to the industry. So I started consulting. I did a lot of freelance writing and um, 
long and short of it, it allowed me then to uh, pursue a master's at London College of Fashion. So I've come full circle now, now leading that same course. Um, and it, you know, I was presented with this question of, you know, do I go into a career in marketing, fashion marketing, which is what my degree was, or journalism? And um, I wasn't really happy to write about shoes and about trends. And um, I mean, maybe this is too much information, but I am such a fashion nerd and I have such admiration for people that work in the industry. So for example, during my master's, I wrote handwritten letters to like all of the big editors in London and yeah. basically just saying how much I you know, love their work and also tucked in my CV in there just to see if they would, uh, you know, give me give me a shot. And um, a couple of them responded, but unfortunately they were unpaid. And mm. a student in London, it's it's very difficult to uh, justify an unpaid internship. Um, but also we had um, the former editor-in-chief of British Vogue come to LCF. And um, my friend was, was saying, come to Oxford Street. Um, I was at Holborn at the time and the tubes were down. And so I literally ran from Holborn to see at the time Alexandra Shulman um, give a talk. And anyway, I, I jotted something down on a piece of paper and I gave it to her. And um, yeah, we, we you know kind of for formed a, a relationship and uh, was able to kind of get into that world. So I've, I've yeah, kind of went above and beyond, I guess, the, the norms of, uh, <laughs> of uh, yeah, reaching out to, to these people that, that I I'd really admired. Um, but the long and short of it was I saw this side of, of journalism and, and publishing, and I wanted to understand more about really what was happening within the industry. So thinking how social media changed the way that we work and all of our job roles have been impacted, um, you know, what we prioritize in our, in our work. And so I was able to have a really wonderful and supportive PhD supervisor um, who before I, I did my PhD, said, you know, why don't you consider academia? You know, have the, um, you know, lean into ethnography, you know, make those connections as to what people are doing and, and analyze it. You have such freedom in, in this world. Um, and I'm so happy to have done that um, because I spent three years then looking at this field of fashion, going again to these fashion shows, going to, um, you know, kind of within businesses to understand, you know, what has been this impact of certain technologies. Um, and uh, yeah, three years later, uh, you know, did my did my uh, defense, uh, as they say, and I got my PhD. And um, I, during that time as well, was very much and, and still am a type of person that wants to connect the academic theory to practice because a theory on its own, I believe, as an academic, is not, you know, what's the point of it, really? Yeah. So um, I, uh, whilst finishing that PhD, I, I ran a, a company, as, as you mentioned earlier, Retour, and we looked at, at upcycling. So how do we connect these amazing designers that were prim primarily in London to upcycle the end consumers' garments? And, um, you know, we were in vogue. We were at Selfridges <laughs> for, for a summer. We I think were that's selling it slightly <laughs> short. You did more than get in vogue. Um, but but no, it was really, you know, personally so um, rewarding to... A, you know, meet these incredible creatives that are changing 
you know, what we perceive as, as a fashion business and offering mm. these circular um, services and business models. And, you know, there's we have so many more tools in, you know, our in our toolbox as to, you know, creating a more positive industry and more positive society. Um, and that's essentially what then brought me back into academia to then teach my experiences as an entrepreneur and um, also, I guess, as a, as a journalist. Yeah, fascinating. I love the... Um the study of hemlines it always makes me read the old economics books <laughs> when they used to say like the market yeah. the trend like the correlation between hemline rise and fall and market conditions I always thought it was like a funny thing for sure uh, not sure how valid it actually is and probably quite um, sexist and horrible probably but it's um incredible journey and I, I mean your family life or your 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 parents and and your growing up was that creative passion instilled in you then? Do you, do you come from a creative family or were you sort of the, the odd one out when you pursued the path that you did? Um, not necessarily the odd one out because my um, my mom, she also um, comes from the world of academia. So okay. she pursued a PhD and um, did do some work in fashion. So she worked on kind of the sales side for right. a company called Stefanel. And um, also my, my grandfather, he worked um, within the industry as a kind of wholesale buyer. So even though I was I was exposed to that, it wasn't, you know, I'm definitely not from a, a quote fashion fashion family at all. Um, but um, no, I'm, I'm very lucky to have been exposed to different cultures and to be what's called a, a third culture kid. Mm. I mean, I'm half American, half Austrian, live in London, have a weird international accent. Um, and I think that gives you the opportunity to kind of blend in anywhere and absorb certain references. But then on the flip side, you never feel necessarily kind of completely part of a community. Yeah. Um, but I think that desire or like that re quote replacement of a community it, for me is almost fashion because it, it brings people from all walks of life, um, different identities, different um you know, communities and you kind of bond and come together for like this, this, this love of, of expression, um, whether it's kind of um, individual or from a community. So, um, yeah, I think being, have, having moved around so many places um, and yeah, just having, I guess, freedom from my family to experiment um, allowed me then to, yeah, go into this world. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had um, a lady called Camilla Erica Boyeva on the podcast a little while ago. She was talking about third culture kids mm -hmm. and she's, someone who's connected to fashion industry too with an Uzbek background and the, the kind of notion of that sort of fitting in, not fitting in and, and how you kind of create new community. And she's doing a great thing by creating that community in London of mm -hmm. most people that are you know, quite, it's quite a small pocket of people. Mm -hmm. But again, it's how do you represent and then also sort of remix and bring new things to it. And I guess fashion's a great vehicle for that because it's always about, well, I guess in many ways, it's always about creating new things and mm -hmm. cycles and trends, which is probably somewhat of what we're going to talk mm -hmm, about now sure. and very much what you were trying to address with Ritual, right? Mm -hmm, and, yeah. and was that something that you, was the idea or the spark for that? Was that something that you were seeing what was happening and, and felt that there was a problem that you wanted to solve? What was the spark that brought Ritual to your Oh world. gosh, great great question and there are multiple answers to that and one is because of my background of first journalism and then being an ethnographer and doing research in this fashion community, I was able to, um, well, first of all, make some really dear friends, mm. um, many of them being designers and 
you know, I was able to hear kind of different struggles that designers were having when they were graduating from Central St. Martin's or LCF or wherever, where there's such an emphasis on, you know, what makes them unique. And they're, you know, in all of the glossy magazines and they're, you know, getting, you know, thousands and thousands of Instagram followers, but then they graduate and then that buzz kind of fizzles off. And there's then that lack of support of how you can then you know, sustain a business. And um, I started Retour during the pandemic. So, you know, there are many issues, obviously. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's fashion and what, what's interesting today, it's not about that transaction of, here's my money, I'm buying this garment, goodbye. Yeah. It's it's a relationship and that relationship can be sustained through different types of services like upcycling. Mm -hmm. And what's so beautiful about upcycling is being able to co-create a story together. So what, you know, what inspired this idea was on one hand having, you know, a amazing designer who has their own aesthetic, their own kind of brand DNA, and then they're connecting virtually, um, so, so through our platform at the time, with a customer who has you know, a piece in, you know, their wardrobe that has its own story. So maybe a dress that was passed down from from a grandmother or some a, a dad's suit jacket. Mm. And these two parties come together to inject a new life into something that maybe is a bit tattered or something that's a bit... Um, you know, isn't really worn. And I really love this idea of taking it beyond repairs, but creating something that is, you know, really customized and creating a personality um, in a, quote, old piece. And um, it's that value of, of, again, bringing it back to storytelling. So mm -hmm. receiving something that is then upcycled and, you know, telling your friends that, oh, my God, Patrick McDowell added this amazing, you know, embroidery to my suit. Or, um, I mean, Sabina, you know, turning my um, wedding dress into a cocktail dress. I mean, these were real, um, you know, kind of cases that, that were presented. And, um and yeah, I mean, I'm so proud that we were able to reach this audience and just educate people on upcycling. Yeah. And I mean, again, I did not up, um, invent upcycling, no, of course, no, no. but um, I'm so happy that, you know, it's more of um, it's more normalized, I'd say. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm hoping and encouraging kind of next generations to, to continue, uh, continue the practice. Yeah. And there's a lot of great companies now in this space. Amazing. And, yeah. Um, the, it's really in the infancy, right? In terms of in the market, this yeah. demand being met. Um, and it's just fascinating to see how this has started to build. And I guess we'll, we'll probably touch on the, the wider implications of it as we go into the, the question that we're going to use to anchor the podcast as we always do. The how might we we're going to run with for our conversation today is how might we increase sustainability in the fashion industry through higher education, um, which as you've articulated there, very knowledgeable about both sides of that uh, uh, question there and that prompt. When we think about the issue of sustainability in fashion and the present moment we're in, what do you think are the sort of key factors which are maybe shaping the issue around sustainability in fashion as you experience it? 
For sure. So, well, first of all, it's it's what's the definition of sustainability? Right. And everybody has a different take on it. Mm. Um, so what is actually the, the criteria of, of what we're looking at? And that's where the, the greenwashing comes into it, where a brand just says, yes, we're sustainable, but we don't actually know what that means. And there's that lack of accountability. Um, and also from a customer or citizen point of view, um, you feel kind of disheartened because you don't know like what what they can do about it, you know, what's actually the the action there. So that's the first issue of lack of a definition. And then second of all, you know, we're confronted with so many, you know, so much information, so much misinformation as well. Um, and it's almost unfair to expect all of us to essentially become experts and take the time to look through all of these different reports and understand how to read these reports. Um, and still trying to figure that out myself. Exactly. And, you know, if we're not on that same playing field, you know, it's impossible to have these, these solutions, these, these global solutions. So... You know, we can go into, you know, some, some examples of, of kind of good practice, but mm. at its base, um, I'd say it's that, again, what are we actually talking about? Um, you know, we just launched a, a master's at London College of Fashion um, called Master's in, in Fashion Marketing and Sustainability. And a unit um, in that course is um, is looking at regenerative fashion. And the reason we talk about regenerative fashion is because it's much more specific, um, looking at kind of agriculture, looking at um, kind of going beyond circular practice, um, you know, connecting kind of our um, practice with our environment, local environments. And it's... Um, you know, there's there's actually a, a a focus instead of kind of sustainability, which is like looking into the abyss. You know, yeah. it's like where do you even start? And do you think when when you think about who the issue affects, and specifically from your now viewpoint or your stance on, on education and, and this course, when new students come onto the course and we think about that definitional issue mm-hmm. with sustainability, do you do you see different interpretations from the students? Do you um, do you see them change over mm-hmm. the course? And I guess from the viewpoint of marketing, strategic mm-hmm. marketing, yeah. how important do you think it it kind of is for these people to mm-hmm. um, try to wrestle with this very complex topic Definitely. through their messaging? Well, what's exciting about a master's, I'm, I'm sure undergrad as well at, at uh, most uh, universities in London, is how international they are. And we have, I mean, I'm just thinking top of my head, we started last week, probably 20 nationalities in, wow. in my course. And everybody has, correct, a, a different take on what sustainability is. So an example could be um, vintage and secondhand garments. So for many, you know, kind of Western um students, you know, thinking about, you know, EU um, or the UK, secondhand has become this kind of cool phenomenon. You know, you're you're thrifting. Um, it's uh, it's very almost, quote, trendy. Um, but in, in other markets, um, thinking about some of the East Asian countries, there's a perspective sometimes of um, you know, secondhand can be quite negative. Mm. Um, there could be um, some negative um, kind of connotations behind it of, you know, your your status, perhaps. Um, also, um, 
you know, you know, not maybe engaging with with what's what's new and and um, kind of fitting in with with peers. So you know, every geography and also kind of um, psychographic group has these different views and preferences. And that's why it's so important um, to have discussions and come together because I think, you know, just looking at, I don't know, my social media, I follow a lot of um, businesses here in London that are within kind of circular fashion. And it can sometimes be quite tone deaf when we just say, you know, this is the way and we're not actually taking into account, you know, other countries and other, you know, ways of, of working. And until we actually listen as well, we're not going to find kind of a, 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 a global solution here. And again, I mean, sustainability has been deemed this very, again, kind of hot topic. Um, and the thing is, is that a lot of these practices of, you know, sustainable, quote, materials, um, you know, repairing, you know, reworking. I mean, these have been done, you know, our, our grandparents, yeah. you know, ancestors have done this. So, you know, we're not inventing this. No. Um, we're, we're learning from those that came before us. But also we need to look at, you know, the global south. We need to, um, you know, bring different stakeholders to the table instead of, you know, having a panel discussion with the same exact people that are very removed from, you know, manufacturing and what's actually happening on the, the factory floor. Yeah, and even more removed of the consumer. And yeah. So it's not their job necessarily to have a mind to that. It's the the brands or it can be the brands, doesn't necessarily have to be, but if they're being sustainable, of course it does. Yeah. But when that distinction, I think, between post and, and undergrad is it's important. And I think it's also interesting when we, we think about getting a handle on fashion sustainability especially through education because i i often think it's similar issues like degrowth um or concepts and notions like degrowth and how we enforce those notions into you know future labor input into the fashion industry for example you know the next designer the next mm -hmm. uh yeah the, the next person who works in press or the next uh, you know, event organizer for the shows and i guess it's in the school, there's a great chance to have that open dialogue with loads of different people because I think almost when you go out, I mean, fashion can be quite a closed shop mm -hmm, in the sense yeah. that you kind of come out of education and then you're thrown into this world where it's very, I hear it's better than it used to be, mm -hmm. but still tricky to mm -hmm. find the right people and source the right things. So even with best intentions to fulfill the promise of maybe the things you had in your master's thesis mm -hmm. or something, it's very hard to implement. Yeah. Right? So uh, do you find that when certainly on this sort of the narrative part is it is it that is the easier part the narrative and it's just harder pragmatically to deliver that through a mm -hmm. brand or for how do you see the the two lines there well, in an ideal world, I think the practical element needs to be more of a focus within the university walls. Right. And this is what makes me really optimistic about our new building at L of LCF, <laughs> because under one roof, we have the business school, we have the media school, we have the design school, and it's a very open plan. And so I'm seeing, you know, designers create these amazing pieces. I'm seeing, you know, photographers doing their thing. And if we can come together and, you know, work together instead of in our silos, we understand, you know, the different um, expectations. We understand, um, you know, what's important for different stakeholders. And so, you know, when we think about, you know, some sustainable solutions, like, you know, you mentioned degrowth, for example, I mean, that has serious knock-on effects on, you know, employment, and then that impacts communities, that impacts, you know, education. So we can't just have this, um, you know, 
you know, um, what is it? One size, you know, fits sure. all approach. Um, but equally within education, it's this kind of dance with industry, especially at a business school. We need to see, you know, what's missing from the industry right now and how do we actually or create, um, you know, positive leaders for, for tomorrow. So an example of that is um, this sustainable fashion marketing course that, that has just launched that was written um, based off of feedback I was hearing and, and colleagues was hear were hearing from, from industry. So, you know, large multinational players, um, you know, huge, you know, kind of UK retailers, um, uh, SMEs as well. And there's a demand for... Um, em employees that have the, in my case, marketing knowledge, you know, how can you communicate effectively, but equally be able to, you know, understand what's happening on the sustainability side, understand what's happening with the supply chains. Um, you know, oftentimes you have these different departments and in industry and they're not really talking to one another. And sometimes we forget that that marketing isn't just, you know, speaking to the end consumer it's also internal yeah. you know getting your your teams really excited about a new way of working such as you know being more sustainable in, in different ways um so my goal and you know my colleagues goal and i'm sure it's the same at, at other universities is to think about how can we meet those needs um in a more you know, effective, efficient, practical way instead of kind of just thinking about the theory, which, yeah, I'm not a fan of just yeah, the theory. Fair <laughs> enough. It's right. And, and anecdotally, from, from my work setting up a, a fashion campus here in Hackney Wick, mm -hmm. I was inundated every day with studio um, requests from, mm -hmm. from brands doing amazing things in this space and all manner of ways. And so it feels from that limited vantage point that there's a massive growth in this. It was more for every eight of those, there was maybe one brand who was just a typical, say, couture brand or mm -hmm. high-end fashion brand. And even then, you could argue there's green credentials in that by nature of the limited production cycle of them or the quality and mm -hmm. the, the long-lasting nature of it. So it's not black and white, it's nuanced. But I'm just thinking, when you think, say, 10 years down the line, because we are early in this in terms of universities like yours or mm -hmm. others, teaching sustainability as a mm -hmm. kind of primary notion mm -hmm. and a, a cultural thing, as you say. Um, and we're starting to already see the, the way that feeds through into the industry. Like if we think in 10 years time, like the, how do we see the, I guess, do you think that the, the majority of brands in fashion will be representing this notion of sustainability and circularity and ethical fashion and mm -hmm. all the kind of high-end stuff stay where it is and that's another world in and of itself mm -hmm. but all the new ideas will be coming from people from from this end of the aisle do, do you see that that will be the balance of things definitely and i i think and i i hope that um like many have said before you know the the kind of conversation around sustainability almost like fizzles out because it's just a normalized way of working yeah, there we go, yeah. um and you know there is the customer pressure, you know, we do see people wanting to align their purchases with their values. But again, you know, we have to be realistic. It's a cost of living crisis. Um, you know, people don't have, you know, again, the time and energy to look through these very complicated, you know, um, purposefully complicated and difficult to read reports um, mm -hmm. to kind of uh, hide a few elements of practice. So it's how do we make some of these business models 
feels um, very user friendly. And, you know, from a business perspective, um, or, or I guess from a sustainability perspective, you need to make the case as to, you know, why does this actually make business sense? Um, and so instead of just kind of, you know, keeping with the status quo, you know, selling what you have, you know, opening up the focus of the product to, again, services and focusing on, you know, who are you as a brand diversifying from, you know, just a particular area in fashion to something that, you know, encapsulates, you know, art and, and film and other ways of expressing. Because not only does that make business sense from creating more, you know, brand loyalty and engagement. So, you know, there's a huge role of, of creativity and the freedom to think of, of new ways. And so I don't want students necessarily to kind of you know, say, okay, it, everything has to be, you know, within, you know, sustainability, because that almost becomes, um, it, it just naturally becomes sustainable, because we have our criteria, right. we've got the, you know, sustainable development goals, which we always connect to in our, in our, um, uh, on our work. Right. Um, but again, when we kind of look at these new ways of delivering value, and um, also reconsidering, what do we mean by value? Um you know, value is 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 very individual. You know, your perception is very different to mine. Um, and, you know, it's the role of the customer, which is much more important. That, that person has been empowered. So it's this conversation which is happening. And because that conversation is focusing on sustainable practice, um, it's inevitable that it's, it's going to become normalized. Um, and so, again, it can't be the case where education falls behind industry and we just kind of report about it in textbooks and say, yep, you know, this is what they're doing out there. It has to be, you know, this very equal relationship. And, um, you know, that's maybe something where we have to do a better job in being a little bit more um quick with, 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 with research. Um, I mean, sorry to keep going on about this, but, you know, research takes a long time to actually you know, go through the process. And then publishing, you know, takes an even longer time to actually get peer reviewed. And, you know, if you're if you're lucky to be published, it could be, you know, two years down the line. So if you're talking about these kind of sustainable practices that involve, you know, emerging tech sometimes, you know, it's um it can be very outdated. So we have to be looking at right now what you know, SMEs are doing, you know, who's taking risks and be able to bring that in the classroom already mm -hmm. um, instead of just waiting for that peer-reviewed paper, for example. Yeah, fair enough. And when you think about the the notion of what higher education's role is in this this wider map, and I think so many of the, the institutions, I guess, which unfairly we might say are some of the ones that play a bit harder and faster with sustainability or loose yeah. with it, right? Um, the notion that usually incentive Trump's ethics in far as far as big business is consumed uh, concerned, sorry, and how we consume uh, things in the market. And I think the people that are going into say your your program and, and and universities like yours, there may be it's maybe a little like preaching to the converted in the sense they come in kind of probably quite willing and open to these ideas, right? And then you've got maybe parts of the market which are open to it, but as long as it doesn't infringe too much on business as usual or the bottom line and all those kind of things. So when we think of an empathy map of what do you think, say, 
or maybe it's direct experience, maybe it's hypothetical, but people that are going through your course maybe wanted to go to those big brands and, and, and mm-hmm. rewrite those narratives and tell, tell better stories about how they do their, their, their good work in that space. What do you think they think and feel when they kind of go out into that world and maybe it's not as rosy as they were hoping it was going to be or they have to you know, run the hard yards in terms mm-hmm. of convincing senior people that you can't just say this and we can't just have like 2% of our... Mm-hmm. Net income every year go to supporting some project in the global south. Like we need to get deeper in on this. Like mm-hmm. how do you feel? How do you see that sort of process of coming out and then going into industry and trying to make the the change mm-hmm. with the people who can really make the biggest change? Yeah. So just what you were saying earlier in terms of students or like kind of preaching to the converted. I mean, I'd say, gosh, maybe half of the students um, aren't actually you know you know completely passionate about sustainability oh, right. okay, um you know but what's 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 very interesting is is that they might say actually I don't really care about sustainability but then you know at the end of the sentence but actually I was renting a dress last week for an event just and doing so it. you know the kind of loaded identity maybe of being like a kind of gen z activist you know some people maybe want to step away from but the the actions and seeing you know different types of business models that's what excites them mm. so that's the, that's the first part. But second of all, that, yeah, that reality of, of leaving the, the hallowed halls of a university and going into business, um, it can be a serious shock. And um, not just shock in terms of, you know, the, the ethics and the sustainable practice, but also, you know, the, um, the culture of fashion as well. And, you know, it's gotten a lot better, I, I understand. Yeah, but sorry, yeah. Previously, it was it, it treated people very poorly, and there was almost this like status when you treat people poorly, and having like you know these these barriers, and they still exist. Of oh, you know, you're not invited here, or you can stand, you can't sit, or you're uh, you know kind of making you feel quite small, and you have to work your earn your stripes, um, and yeah. they say, and I'd say that kind of perspective of, of how you treat people is directly connected with how you also treat the planet and, you know, people, um, you know, literally making the, the garments. So there is that correlation there. And so, you know, this isn't your question, but I would say, you know, no, it's yeah. a bigger question about culture and how do we teach a culture that is positive to different stakeholders. Um, and that I think is, is, education's role is so important there. And an example of that is, you know, it's no longer a case of I'm the, um, you know, I'm the the lecturer and I'm telling you the answer. And it's this power struggle of, you know, me telling you. But now, you know, it's it's equal. You know, we're co-creating knowledge together and we're learning from each other, as we mentioned, from different cultures. And that way of you know, fostering these conversations then goes into industry and hopefully those students, you know, can influence that culture there. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, addressing your question of, of those that are kind of shocked of, uh, of like poor practice, um, you know, I hear every year, um, you know, students kind of reach out and say kind of what they're up to. And I'd say it's so important to see, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. So you understand what are these problems and then you can actually either create solutions yourself or, you know, plan B, create your own job roles. Um, There are, 
you know, this 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 generation of graduates now, they've uh, they've kind of argued their own jobs. They say, you don't have a sustainability officer. Well, this is what I can do. This is There the value of my work. So that's really exciting and empowering. And then third of all, there's also this exodus of very talented people leaving big companies that don't, you know, kind of share the same values and they're leaving for amazing SMEs, many of them here in, in Hackney. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they're taking a cut in the paycheck, but they're saying, actually, that's okay because it's more important for me to do something that I really am passionate about. So I, there is, you know, companies are, you know, the alarm bells are ringing of actually we do need to prioritize this if we want to attract and retain talent because mm. um, that's what it boils down to and you might have read the vogue business report that came out like three weeks ago of yeah this culture of fashion of how people are treated and people are not happy it is not a a um a, a healthy industry right now and if we don't treat people you know every every um aspect of the business if we don't treat people right you know, it's it's not going to be working in the long term. So on the point of sustainability, it's not just thinking about our environmental impact, but also the sustainability of will these businesses even exist in five years yeah. because they won't if we don't have talent. No, you're right. And it goes back to that culture point, which is yeah. so important, right? And I think uh, not enemies, but say maybe counterpoints are the things that you need in order to reinforce why you believe in the things you do. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. guess when you go out into that world and maybe you get that job at X great house, for example, and mm -hmm. then you maybe spend a couple of years there and go, okay, maybe it just this is reinforced why I don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. And you, unfortunately, you might have an unpleasant experience there doing that, but it's, it's an important part in your journey as a yeah. person in your career. You know, those adversities are really yeah. informative. And yeah. I say they create uh, more... Uh, anti-fragile activists, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, and and what's great about that in, in today's age is that you're not alone. I mean, you're, you right. have an audience that is, you know, listening to you. You have a voice that can reach millions, <laughs> billions, and, you know, a brand or a company that treats, you know, an employee um, poorly, um, you know, that's a huge risk. You know, mm. why would you do that? Because you can be called out and canceled in a heartbeat. So, you know, the tables have turned. And, you know, if you aren't living out the values or if you haven't even defined those values, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Mm. So, well, Going back to, to Ritual, maybe slightly for a second to use it as part of an exercise, but mm -hmm. thinking about strategic marketing and the sort of exercise of the rosebud thorn things uh, in terms of breaking things down into what's going well, opportunities, what maybe isn't. When you think about the strategic narrative of what Ritual was about, mm -hmm. which is a central part of what I think will be the sustainable or circular economy and fashion, what do you think worked in terms of the roses, the positive things, worked really well at Ritual in terms mm -hmm. of the strategic narrative around what it is you were trying to get across? So the, the positive, I mean, there are many positives, um, but one was the, the story behind it and people learning like how they can get involved with upcycling and the, the value of it. So being able to look back into your wardrobe and saying, oh, actually, you know, I don't have to, you know, give these to charity. Oh, I, I don't have to just kind of leave this amazing wedding dress in the attic. Um, so even if it was just a, a small amount of people, um, 
percentage-wise, at least, you know, it 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 sparked a new relationship with the things that you already have. And there's so many great companies um, right now that are, you know, that, that have that same message. And it is about redefining, yeah, how you how you view what you have. Um, so I'm really glad that we were able to to tell that with different um, or on different platforms. And it was also all about working with top talent. So some of the designers we worked with, I mean, I mentioned Patrick McDowell earlier, um, Joshua James Small, um, you know, uh, Rawan Mackey. There's the incredible design. I mean, um, it can go on. We worked with like <laughs> 70 plus designers. Um, but these are people that are doing incredible things now. Some of them work in-house at, you know, top, um, you know, tier, tier brands. Um, some of them are very successful on their own. And just kind of bringing together that diversity of um, well, well of, of them themselves, but their different takes on creativity and how they view sustainability and bring their stories. So, um, so yeah, I'd hope that we were inspiring with this new type of working and, mm. and, uh, yeah, seeing fashion. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's taking that post-consumer a step further because I think yeah. oftentimes it's always, well, you'll see adverts from you know, clothing, washing companies, aerial other other brands are available. Mm-hmm. Um, how you can you know, lower the temperature and preserve, and again, it's that sort of putting the onus on you. But it's very clinical, isn't it? It's very yeah. operational, and it's not about the. You, know, you don't pick a garment for that. Yeah, that's part of it, and it should be part of it. But it's again, I guess companies like Retour and others can start to make it a little bit more sexy, or I guess mm-hmm. a bit more interesting because it, yeah. it can be and it should be, as you say, those tweaks by someone like Patrick McDowell. Mm-hmm. You tell your kids, kids that that's an mm-hmm. amazing thing. So. Yeah, and I mean, so in terms of a bud, an opportunity, maybe an un- underexplored thing that maybe you were trying to, if you'd had more time with the brand, you would have done. I mean, I know mm-hmm. you were doing work at Selfridges mm-hmm. towards the end, and I think, I think it was Sabina who did a sort of pick your price mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. Um, behind a garment, which was a great, I think, sort of quasi study yeah. of how much we value garments or how much we understand what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if things like that in the real world do you see as underexplored and what other areas do you think in terms of marketing could you exploit more to help get messages like this across? So I think it boils down to time and right. the kind of core issue with a lot of these circular business models is, you know, you're you're not just pushing the message of, you know, use this service, but it's saying, you know, what is upcycling? So you actually have to educate people like what you're even talking about. And I remember as a team, you know, we looked at like search engine optimization and ah. the, the actual searches for upcycling was like so minimal. Oh, really? So, um, interesting. And, and, you know, how, how do you actually make, uh, you know, how do you communicate that and reach an audience that maybe didn't even think about this type of practice? Mm. So, you know, in the way that we work today in terms of our, our ecosystem, uh, it's very difficult to have the opportunity to experiment, um, you know, given, you know, the financial resources, you know, running out at a certain point. So I think if you had, if I had more time and also, you know, I was, we spoke before the podcast of, you know, 
finding what you, what what your north star is and i don't know there might be some entrepreneurs out there that might not feel like it's their um raison d'etre like for me like i love talking about upcycling because it was about education mm-hmm. but the more that we kind of got into it and we started selling upcycled things it became a little bit less about what i was passionate about and so then i made the decision to kind of go back into the university um but uh, yeah, no, I, I applaud those companies that are able to, again, get that investment during the, yeah, that very short timeline and, again, be able to experiment, take some risks yeah. um, and just see what works because what you first intend when you start becomes very different at the end of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And in terms of the, 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 the negatives, maybe, or the thorn, the things that don't work or weren't working or you see quite commonly not working, are mm-hmm. there examples out there of, of the way brands are trying to get sustainability across is it is it definitional is it abusing the term is it sort of the glossing over what it actually means do you think that slowly eroded people's perception of the true intricacies and the, the well the vital nature of the step we all have to take in order to totally um well it's such a loaded term now and sometimes you know you're talking to somebody about sustainability and the other person's like ah oh, again you know you don't need to like go into this you know yeah i get it and um yeah i i do get it because sometimes you know it can be quite you know confrontational of oh i saw you walk into h&m yesterday um and (laughs) you kind of point the finger and the other person you know it feels bad but again no one's sorry no one's perfect no one is you know we shouldn't expect perfection and I do think that there are elements of, you know, whether it's um, yeah sustainability or, you know, trying to find more, you know, social equity, um, you know, it is sometimes very much this like top down, you must do this and that. And it's not actually listening to all of the stakeholders, because as we said earlier, sustainability is not buying a hundred pound T-shirt that is just that is the the opposite of it and it's mm. so kind of you have this this bubble of 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 people and you 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 know that's that's not it no. so i think that is is the thorn and um you know upcycling you know for us um it it, it was expensive you know it, it it's you know it was about i don't know average 150 pounds maybe to get something upcycled so it had a barrier as to you know who can partake into that um and you know the question is how do we make that practice um you know applicable and and uh, kind of used by everybody because it it increases their um you know kind of day to day and that's i think what's what's missing right now in that conversation and what I and I guess you know others in in, in higher education who hope to um, hope to look into. Yeah, and I guess it's for me. I mean, I would say certainly when I go into department stores and they have a corner almost cleaning cupboard where they'll say this is our secondhand section or our upcycling <laughs> section, uh, but by the till there'll be many th- random tidbits that you could buy that are just plastic nonsense waste that you really shouldn't buy but they strategically put them there in order for you to buy them last minute and it's you know the the sort of uh unfortunate kind of strong neural pathways we have to you know kind of cues routine reward things like that and i think with upcycling certainly or making more conscious choices more mindful choices it is mm-hmm. something that the more you do it the more it does start to as with any habit it mm-hmm. self-reinforces and it starts to become 
I don't know whether it's an identity thing. I don't know if you mm-hmm. would agree with that. But from my personal experience, it's something now that I just feel a little bit more... I just take a step. It's just an extra step before mm-hmm. I make any purchase where I'm yeah. not going to beat myself up if one day I buy a few more things than I usually do. Mm-hmm. But how that breaks down when every other time I thought about it and gone, you know what, I, I don't really need this. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually, could I go to a, a vintage store or could I support someone who's doing what you were doing? And I think it's just the knowledge step mm-hmm. that allows you to just have a little bit more of a positive sort of neural pathway in those moments. Yeah, And I think those stores could do a... I assume they're not doing it for a reason. Mm-hmm. I don't want to point fingers, but um, there's a reason why they're probably in the back and not front and center, right? But then mm-hmm. at the front of the store, <laughs> or next to the mannequins, it'll be like the new sustainable collection. Mm. But then it's, again, what that's not explained in any material way. Exactly, right? yeah. It's a shame that we've that's a dynamic. But then I guess that points to the wider point of they need you to keep consuming mm-hmm. because that's how they earn money. Yeah. And so... And, and on that point, so I'm fully aware that I am teaching marketing, which has gotten us into this mess. Yeah, of, it's, it's, so of, it's all your fault. It's, it's my fault. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, marketing has, has completely fueled mm. overconsumption and, you know, seeing our self, self-worth with what we buy. And, you know, it's been hugely detrimental to well-being, to obviously in the environment, you know, so many different points. But equally, I am a big believer that what has gotten us into this mess can also get us out of this mess. And what you just said about, you know, when you buy something now, you think twice of like, ah, where is this actually from? Or, oh, like, is, is there anything on the website about, you know, more, more information? Mm-hmm. I mean, now with, with Eon and being able to scan, you know, some, some garments and, you know, seeing that kind of journey of how that garment came to be. Um, I mean, that's something that's super Um, super exciting. And, you know, that technology, you know, influences the the supply chain, but also we can always bring it back into marketing. And, you know, what I told my my students uh, today uh, of six hours of teaching was that marketing is not just this department in in, you know, your office building and they're kind of removed from everything. But marketing is essentially kind of going back to the culture. It's who you hire. It's who you're listening to. It's who's your shadow board, for example. Um, it's how you treat your employees as well as your your customers. So it's not just that kind of shiny billboard, but it's, it's literally everything. And I would say, you know, there's that conversation of, an organization has a culture, you know, it creates a culture or it is a culture. So it just, it, it is what it is. Um, and I would say culture and, and marketing can keep kind of be married together in that respect. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it, it threads the needle on quite a lot there because you think about advertising as a means to getting information or how and what information, but the right information in this instance and I think there's a little bit of room on the regulation side in terms of how that information is mm, accessible yeah. in terms of QR and, and what have you. And there are great technologies that are allowing this to be more readily done. But again, like how are we policing the way these, uh, the way the garment information is shared, the monitoring, who has to justify it, et cetera. I mean, there's, there's going to be universal standards for this, but technology will move faster than those mm-hmm. and the brands will capitalize and it's how we sort of converge and I guess it's the behavioral point and the nudge and it's how can we have that information not just be available but 
tell that story of why we are sharing mm-hmm. that information and what the impact of your purchase is yeah. and how you can still purchase. You know, we, we do have to consume less at mm-hmm. some point. That seems to be the yeah. presiding narrative over all mm-hmm. things to do with the climate. But it doesn't mean no consumption, mm-hmm. as to your point, the, your astute point about the second and third order effects of degrowth. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's good in principle, but the knock-on effects, mm-hmm. as we saw in COVID with you know, orders not being placed and people in parts of the world, you know, their, their whole livelihoods and unfortunate likely deaths and, mm-hmm. and many other things which are, you know, and that ethnocentric view of the West and mm-hmm. how things are here, you can get very in the bubble yeah, and not realize that, you know, this is the global picture and we need to think about how this impacts almost everyone. everyone. Exactly. Yeah, Definitely. In different ways. And just on that point though, mm. and I think this is where a company's marketing as well as higher education kind of kind of come together and it's you know you you can tell students you can tell the customer okay this is what's happening mm-hmm. or you kind of take it to the next level of teach you know you you teach customers you teach your students you know the ins and outs of a supply chain or um you know information about their more responsible practice but then in terms of being able to to learn and actually have, you know, a significant learning experience, you must involve students, you must involve customers. So that's why I'm really excited when there is a, you know, a, a pop-up at, um, I mean, we'd mentioned Selfridges earlier in their, in their corner store. They did something this year um, with, with Sojo and like repairing. And when you see it, up front and you're invited to take part in that experience, you then already have that kind of, you're learning it. Yeah. So again, that's what's exciting about being able to to market it and communicate this is when you're involving these different stakeholders, whether that's customers, whether that's your suppliers. Um, and that's, again, what gives me a lot of optimism of where we're heading. Yeah. And creating such deep, rich relationships with your customers. Yeah. I mean, there's no better way, right? Well, Nina, I mean, it's amazing to, to hear your perspective, also what the course um, is going to do in terms of shaping the next wave, the next era of uh, students coming out and, and whether working in their own practice or in others and, and helping this narrative uh, be articulated in different ways and, and, and shaping the ways it's already been done for, for the better. So hopefully in, in the years to come, more semesters, we'll, we'll see how this evolves and, and how people uh, express this this message in a really beautiful way. But before I let you go, um, I have my lightning questions, which hopefully you're up for answering. Oh my God, I've, I'm so nervous. I hope I'll do okay. <laughs> You'll be good. You'll be good. Don't worry. Um, so number one, what are two of the most important books in your life? Um, Razor's Edge by Somerset Mom. So beautifully written and very philosophical. Um, I'd encourage it to anybody who's graduated and figuring what the next stage of their life is going to be. Um, so that one, and um, gosh, that's that's hard. Um, uh, probably, this is so cliche, but The Great Gatsby. I just love really that. love, I just really loved the book when I was reading it in high school. And um, yeah, Somerset Mom was also 1920s, so I guess I have something for the Roaring Twenties. <laughs> cool, thematic. Yes. The Twenties was the most important mm. era. Um, number two, what was the last musician or album that truly blew you away? Oh my gosh. Well, I just saw The National at Ali Pali last week, and that was amazing. And they just came out with a new album, Laugh Track. Boom. 
Perfect. Full cycle. <laughs> Seen them live, got the album. Uh, number three, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, well, if I wasn't in fashion, I would like to be a children's book author. And I, I still hope to be one, actually. So I believe you will. Maybe next time, uh, you know, maybe I'm invited back and we can talk about that. That would be a hell of a cycle, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, let's do that. When you want to launch the book, yeah. we're here for you. Um, number four, what piece of advice has had the most lasting impact on you? Oh, gosh, lots of good advice. Um, but I would say, I guess, because we talked about higher education is always go t take a risk, you know, go out of your shell, um, go up to, you know, the editor in chief of Vogue, even though it's a bit cringe and embarrassing, but just do it because you have nothing to lose. And, um, and also fail, you know, fail and, you know, see that as something positive, because then you know what you don't like doing, you know what you don't, you're not good at maybe. And it just saves you a lot of kind of time and heartache in the end. So yeah. I would agree, certainly to the in real life point about those connections. I think certainly in the world of being able to go online to events and mm -hmm. connecting digitally, there's nothing better than meeting people in real life and asking them who you should speak to. And, you know, I feel you create much stronger bonds that way. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's never been more important. Uh, number five, what piece of advice would you give to the next generation forming their path? Is to set what what their values are so like a business you as an individual need to understand what your values are what you prioritize what's your criteria when it comes to in this case you know sustainability and to stick to it because that really shapes your lens as to what you're educating yourself with it um allows you to have a really focused impact and um you know it creates you know good boundaries in a way um, where you're taking more control of, of your life. Yeah, really vital. Um, and lastly, aside from resources such as money and staff, what is the single biggest thing your industry needs more of? And I guess we could say academia, you could say mm -hmm. the fashion industry writ large. So I'm going to say academia mm -hmm. and I... Hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big question. Um, I'm going to say uh, doers. So people that, you know, want to go beyond the writing and the theorizing and just make it happen, you know, just uh, be a bit more entrepreneurial in a way to bring it full circle. Perfect. Well, Nina, it's been amazing having you on. Um, for anyone who wants to keep in touch with you and your thinking, where are the best places to, to find you online? Um, find me on, on Instagram, which is Nina Van Valkenburg, and, uh, and also LinkedIn. Please do reach out. Always happy to, to, to help. Amazing. And it's a, it's a good time to connect because there's so much happening so in, much, yes. over on the East Bank and a new campus and the start of the semester. So I'm sure lots of new learnings. Um, Nina, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.